0: Our worship this morning has set us up beautifully for where we're going to go. We're jumping back into the life and the story of Elijah. So if you have your Bible, would you turn with me to First Kings 17? We're going to read quite a portion of Scripture this morning just to set the scene from verse 7. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. (laughs) So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and bring me please a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lived, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. cheery." Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid, go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing our son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. A number of months ago, we arrived in on the story of Elijah and looked at it almost in its entirety. And this morning we arrived back within a portion of it to perhaps begin to look at and identify what God may be calling us to and leading us into. Now, we don't really know that much about Elijah. We don't know much about his early life. We don't know much about his home life. We don't know much about his up- upbringing. He literally turns up on the pages of Scripture in 1 Kings 17. As he turns up in the courts of King Ahab and announces, As surely as the Lord God lives, there will be neither dew nor rain on the land except at my command. He prophesies drought. And at that moment, the heavens close. And we're told that as he comes out of the courts of King Ahab, the word of the Lord comes to him, telling him to go to the Kirith Ravine, for there he has commanded some ravens to supply food for him, and he sits by underneath a tree, he sits next to the brook, he eats the supernatural supply, he drinks from the brook. However, we see the effects of drought because we're told that after a period of time, the brook dried up and the birds stopped coming. And at that point, the word of the Lord comes to him again. Go to Zarephath, for I've commanded a widow to feed you there. And he goes to Zarephath and he finds the widow and says to her, give me some food. And she says, as surely as the Lord lives, I have only a little flour, only a little oil, and I'm going home to make a meal for myself and my son, and then we're going to shrivel up and die. And he prophesies to her and says, the flour is not going to run out. And the oil is not going on and out. And that's exactly what happened. Scripture says he moved in with the widow. It wasn't a hookup. As we said before, it was like a kind of scriptural Airbnb. And he moved into her upstairs room. And that's the point that we pick up the story and focus on this morning. Now, up until this point in the story of Elijah, we've seen him functioning in the role and the office of Prophet. It is the voice of God, the word of God that has led and directed each and every one of his steps and each and every one of his actions up until that point. It is the voice of God that has positioned him within the circumstances that he has found himself in, in the courts of King Ahab, in the Kirith Ravine, in Zarephath, in the widow's house. In each of these moments, we can see him functioning as prophet. The word and the voice of God directs his every move. But in these verses that we're focusing on today, mainly verses 17 to 24, Elijah's role and function changes as the situation within which God has placed him changes. Here's the setup: Elijah has moved in with the widow and her son, and all three of them are having their needs supernaturally met via a handful of flour. And a little oil in the bottom of a jug. And the scripture says in the latter part of verse 15. There was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word the Lord had spoken by Elijah. The important phrase that we land on is that the jar of flour And the jug of oil behaved in accordance, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. The one thing right off the bat is that we notice that the word that was spoken belongs to the Lord. And it was delivered by Elijah. This wasn't Elijah's prophecy. This wasn't Elijah's revelation. It was God's. Elijah just delivered it. And we've got to be careful in prophetic situations when people are talking about their prophecy and their prophetic re- revelation and the word that they have. Actually, we are just the postmen and the postwomen. The word belongs to God. Our job is just to deliver it. Run from anyone that owns prophetic revelations as theirs. Run from them. We just deliver the word. However, the situation that we see here. Is that Elijah is told by God that a widow in Zarephath is going to feed him. And he arrives and the widow says, I don't have anything to give you. I've only got a little oil, a little flour. What Elijah arrives at is a situation where the circumstance before him contradicts with the word of God within him. So he calls for the circumstances before him to come into alignment with the word of God within him. And at that point, miracles happen. The supernatural breaks out. And what this teaches us is the importance then that into the situations that we walk and into the situations and environments that we function, when we begin to find that the circumstances before us contradict with the Word of God within us, we need to begin to call for alignment. And in that moment, that's when miracles begin to happen. Miracles, the supernatural, happen when the Word of God becomes the authority and the Word of God begins to set the rules within a circumstance and within an environment. And every time we gather, we seek to gather here and gather not around a personality or a character, not around a leader, not around a denominational structure, but we seek to make sure that everything that takes place as much as we can within gatherings like these is taking place in accordance with the Word of God, that it's the Word of God that sets the rules in this environment. It's the Word of God that is the authority in this environment, and therefore these moments should be moments in which we should expect to see the supernatural and the miraculous when it's his word that sets the rules and not us. But equally, when we walk into situations, wherever we go and whatever we do, when we allow the word of God to shape the way that we act and the way that we function in those moments, when we allow the word of God to set the rules for our conduct and our interaction, then every moment that we permit that is a moment that has the potential for the miraculous and for the supernatural. Now, according to the passage, there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman, and now the text says, for her family. However, verse 17 tells us that sometime later, the circumstance changed. Now the fact that sometime later there comes a change in the circumstance suggests that for a prolonged period of time, Elijah, the woman, and it would now seem her family are living, enjoying, and experiencing the supernatural provision of God. He prophesied that oil and the flour were not run out. And then we're told that they eat every day. There was food every day. But sometime later. So that suggests that for that prolonged period of time. Every day they were able to face life. Every day they were able to function. Because of the miraculous intervention of God in their lives. Every day this woman and her son. Probably took time to recognize that if it wasn't for the supernatural and miraculous power of God in their lives, then they literally wouldn't be where they were today. The only reason that they were able to function, the only reason that they were who they were, the only reason that they were where they were, was because of God's power at work in their lives. And how often do we lose sight of that in our own lives? That actually... The only reason that we are who we are today and the only reason that we are where we are today, in fact, the only reason that we're able to function the way that we function is because of the supernatural power and grace of Christ in our lives. If it wasn't for his love, if it wasn't for his grace, if it wasn't for his vindication and his power, if it wasn't for his voice and the reality of his touch, we wouldn't be where we are right now. In fact, our lives probably would have taken a completely different journey and looked entirely different. And truth is that all too often, we can actually lose sight of His supernatural power at work in our everyday lives. That what at one point was mind-blowing and life-changing, now just feels ordinary. Ordinary. It can sometimes be forgotten. Remember when we first got saved? Remember when we first were filled with His Spirit? Remember when that healing first broke through? Remember when that freedom manifested. Remember when that revelation came? Or when He came so close that we knew that we knew that we knew that He was real and we were bursting to tell everybody that we could about it? But now further down the line, living in the reality of that, sometimes we can forget it. We can lose sight of that. How does that happen? Well, how did it happen for Elijah? Verse seventeen says: "Some time later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse, and finally stopped breathing. The widow's son became ill. In fact, he, he, he dies, and tragedy visits the house." And all too often, when we arrive on that, we we rush straight to the tragedy and the resurrection that's coming. But one of the things that we can't miss is that while this family are dealing with very real tribulation and very real tragedy and very real difficulty, there is nothing in the text to suggest that the flour and the oil ran out. If you remember, the word of the Lord from Elijah to the woman is this is what God says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. And the rain doesn't happen until the end of chapter 18. We've got ages to get yet. In fact, according to theologians, it's reckoned that it was about three years between the announcement of drought and the moment that the heavens opened and rain fell on the land which means that even though this woman and her family were facing real difficulty and hardship, even although they were facing real tragedy, the miracle was still happening. The supernatural provision was still taking place. Two things come from this. You can bet that as the boy was ill and his condition was getting worse, that the family's focus was on the boy and not on the fact that each of their meals were coming from supernatural provision. And now, none of us would judge them for that, would we? But the fact remains that for us, sometimes in the difficult seasons of life, when we're having to endure the really hard stuff, we can all too often lose sight of the miraculous supernatural interventions of God in our everyday moments. And sometimes in the midst of the difficulty, what's really important is to stop and refocus the soul. Recalibrate the spirit To see the ever-present help in times of trouble. To see the hope that anchors the soul. To stop and actually allow ourselves to trace the rainbow through the rain. To pause and see the work of God who has been at work in our past but is now at work in our present. Because when we stop and allow ourselves to see his fingerprints, when we stop and allow ourselves to see his hand, even in the midst of tragedy and difficult, when we identify the work of God in our everyday moments, then we realize actually he's with us. Even though I walk through this valley, his rod and his staff are comforting me. And his rod and his staff are present because he's present. Even though I walk through the fire and I pass through the waters, they're not going to sweep over me and I won't be set ablaze because he is here. And if we can find his hand, then we know his hand will hold us fast. However, the other thing that we learn is that this family were experiencing the supernatural manifestation of God. And they were experiencing hardship and tragedy and difficulty at the exact same time. It was the best of times and it was the worst of times. Every day... Their supernatural provision reminded them that they were blessed of God. But equally, the difficulty of their situation and the suffering of their boy meant that this was far from a comfortable and happy season for them. And many of us might be able to identify with this. Because many of us right now are living in a moment in which we feel it's the best of times, but equally it's the worst of times. It can be hard. Because you see, you can still experience the blessing of God in the midst of severe trial and difficulty. The presence of trial and tribulation does not equal the absence of the blessing in the presence of God. And I know that that's a basic message, but let me tell you, this pulpit will never stop, particularly within our Pentecostal world, will never stop proclaiming the truth that the presence of trial and difficulty and hardship will never equal the absence of His grace and His favor and His blessing and His presence on our lives because nothing can separate us from Him. And in this moment, this family were experiencing trouble and hardship and miraculous supernatural stuff simultaneously because the presence of difficulty is not a barrier to the miraculous. And if that's the case, we've got to make sure that we don't let it become that. That we don't become so consumed with the difficulty that we ignore the miraculous supernatural presence and interaction of God. That we assume that because difficulty is here, that there can be no miracle taking place. This family were dealing with extreme hardship, but there was still miracles in the kitchen every day. They were living in that tension and in that moment. And what makes this significant for us as we look at where we're leading towards and what God might be saying to us today is that we can begin to experience manifestations of God's supernatural power and manifestations of His blessing. And as we begin, begin to live in that and to begin to pursue that and to begin to experience the reality of that, there are times when suddenly we begin to find hardship and difficulty saddling up at the exact same time. And the question is, what is that all about? Why do these moments take place? And there's not a definitive answer for it, but perhaps when we look at the reason in Elijah's life, it helps us to understand where we've been led into. Could it be that in these moments, God wants us to alter our position and our role and our function? Because that's what happened here with Elijah. Elijah had been the prophet in this moment. He had announced the heart of God. He had announced the mind of God. He had been the vessel through which God had released his miracle. But now as the circumstances change, so does Elijah's role and function. He moves from proclaiming the heart of God to petitioning the heart of God. He moves from revealing the voice of God to raising his voice to God. He moves from prophet to intercessor. And there's a couple of things, obviously, that come out of this. And the one is that Elijah had to adapt his function to fit the situation that God had him within. And it's important that as people, as an individual, but also as a church, that we have to be ready to adapt our function for the seasons that God puts us within. There are times in which he brings us to seasons of renewal and refreshing. And then there's times that he brings us to foundational teaching to get the the foundations correct. There's times in which he calls us to prophetically call out what he's doing and then there's times that he calls us just to seek his face. There's times that he calls us to begin to be his voice to our community and to, to preach and to proclaim the gospel and then there's times that he calls us to roll our sleeves up and serve there's times that he calls us to pray for one another and minister to one another and then there's times that he calls us to run alongside one another and the task and the mission the point is that we have to be willing as a people to adapt to the season that we find ourselves in because if we decide that we have one function one approach and one mandate we will become stuck in a rut and we will die but we have to evolve with the seasons of god I don't know, I look round about right now at the world and turmoil and everything that's going on and the real difficulty that is right on our doorsteps. And I think, do the world out there need to know that Jesus is coming back soon? Yes, they do. But is this our mandate? Do they need to know that they are going to a lost eternity? Yes, they do. But you know what? Do you know what they really need? Is to know that there's hope. And his name's Jesus to know that there can be peace, there can be strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Yes, those messages are all true and at the right time and focus and the right time and moment we will raise up and that will be our focus but maybe right now we need to be able to adapt to the season that we're in and be what God is calling us to be and do what he is calling us to do. However, when we arrive in this moment and see that as the situation changes, Elijah's situation changes or his function changes, he moves from prophet to intercessor, we learn an important lesson and that is this. The prophetic releases the purpose of God within a circumstance and a situation. But prayer and intercession sustains the purpose of God within a circumstance and a situation. The prophetic calls out a move of God, calls it into being, intercession sustains it. This is huge. It was the prophetic that released within the situation of the widow and the oil and the flower, the purpose of God, and that purpose in its most simplest sense was life and not death. The purpose of God was more than just oil and flour not running out The purpose was what that meant. It meant that they would not die, but they would have life. Life was the purpose. The prophetic called out that purpose. Heck, the prophetic even commanded the circumstances to conform to that purpose. But it was prayer and intercession that sustained the purpose of God in that moment. In that moment, as death began to creep in, it was the intercession of Elijah that saw the life of God continuing to manifest in that moment. And we've got to grasp this. The prophetic will release the purpose of God within our church, within our community, within our city. But it's only prayer and intercession that will sustain it. The prophetic will call out, the word of God will call out to us as a church, our shape, our direction, our vision, our approach, what we've to put our efforts into, what we've to put our resources into, what we've to do to see transformation within our church and our communities and our cities, but only prayer and intercession will sustain it. Right now we stand... On the threshold, that's the word we're using a lot. We're on a threshold moment, the threshold of a new season in God. And one of the things that we have to understand is that while there's been loads calling out what that's going to look like and how we cross over the threshold and what we need to do in in shaping our mission and our vision and our focus, we have to realize only intercession will sustain that. The prophetic will call it out, but it's only intercession that will sustain the move of God. I often think seeing God move isn't the hard part because he loves to be amongst his kids. When you ask him to come, he loves to invade circumstances with his presence in reality. In that sense, seeing a move of God isn't difficult. Sustaining a move of God is where it becomes different. Prayer and intercession sustains the move of God. And I think that maybe as we get ready to enter into this new season and there are so many obstacles and barriers and tensions that seem to be rising up at the moment, I think perhaps in this moment God is calling us to get ready to adjust our function. In fact, I think he's releasing to us a spirit of intercession. And you need to understand, as I say that, that is not my natural vent. That is not naturally who I am. Susan will back me up on that. But I think that maybe, just maybe, God wants to release a spirit of intercession upon us. And the question is are we ready and willing to adapt our function to step into this? In Elijah, we can see the role of intercessor, and we spend just a few moments identifying five characteristics of intercession and therefore of an intercessor and we're just going to drop them in, chat about them quickly and then practically step into what God is calling us to. And the first thing that we see about intercession from this is this, intercession does not bring explanation but action. It does not seek to explain why but seeks to bring change. The woman is found in the presence of Elijah carrying her son. She is overwhelmed with distress and overwhelmed with emotion, and she presents herself to Elijah in her distress and she questions, she almost accuses Elijah. What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? The woman here is attributing blame onto Elijah for her son's sudden death. Most likely the reason for this is because of who Elijah represents. He represents God. He has communicated to this woman the voice of God. He has declared the will and the purpose of God. He's demonstrated the power and the hand of God through that miracle with the oil and the flour. And these things have cultivated a faith in God within this woman. So to this widow, Elijah represents God. And at this time when she's angry and she's hurting and she's mad with God, she takes it out on the one who represents him, who embodies God to her. And we know that this woman is mad at God because she links her son's death to God when she declares, did you come to remind me of my sin and take my son, kill my son? She thinks that her son's death is a punishment for her sin. What is sin? Well, sin is wrong committed against God. The woman believes that her son has been killed because of the way that she's wronged God, and she comes to him, to Elijah, with that question Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Did you come to Zarephath and demonstrate a miracle to show how powerful God is and how sinful I am? Is my son's death a punishment from your God for living against him? And notice Elijah's response. He doesn't seek to try and reason with the woman. He doesn't seek to try and explain the why of what has happened. He doesn't try and give the patronizing answer of, well, he became a believer. So now he's in Abraham's bosom and that should be enough for you. He doesn't try and justify God. Maybe the miracle was in place to draw you and your son to a place of faith before all of this happened. He doesn't give the his ways are higher than our ways and in all things he works for the good of those who love him. No, Elijah doesn't reason at all. He just turns to intercession. He doesn't give an answer. He doesn't give a response. He just takes the boy and immediately turns to prayer because Elijah believes God can make a difference in this situation. He believes that God can change this situation. He's heard from God for this family. God told them told him that they wouldn't face death because the oil and the flour would never run out. And this situation now begins to act contrary to the word of God and the promise of God, begins to act contrary to what he understands to be the purpose of God. So he seeks to rectify the situation and he does that through intercession. When God speaks to us, we have to believe that his word is absolute. So when things in our lives Or in the lives of others, start to behave contrary to the Word of God, contrary to His announced purpose. We need to look to bring that into alignment, to bring change. And the way that we do that is intercession. Intercession doesn't involve reasoning with man, it's about petitioning God. It's not about the why. It's about change. And that's really important because all too often we get caught up in the why. Oh, but why God? Why has this happened? Why has this taken place? Actually, our role as intercessors is not to focus on the why, but it's to focus on the change. And all too often in Pentecostal circles, we become obsessed with the why in a different way. What spirit is at work that's caused this to happen? What doorway has been opened that has permitted this? What is the sin that needs to be repented of? What stronghold needs to be pulled down? Our job is not to focus on the why, is to focus on the change. The name that is above every name that can bring change is fastening on to God to see change in that moment and in that situation. We've got to be careful not to become obsessed with the Why? but instead to be a people obsessed with the change that God can bring in circumstances and to pray it till it happens. Elijah doesn't try and reason with the woman, but instead he starts petitioning God. He takes the boy from the woman. The Hebrew actually suggests that he takes the boy from her bosom. So we picture the scene here. This woman is holding the boy next to her heart. Her heart is filled with anguish and pain and distress, raw emotion, extreme grief. One she loved has gone. She holds him close to her heart. She's holding that which caused the grief, the pain, the hurt, the distress. That which has caused the burden on her heart. She holds it close to her heart. And Elijah picks up the boy and carries him to the room to pray. We see here literally in a sense what intercession is specifically. Elijah takes the boy and he carries the burden on the woman's heart to a place of intercession and he petitions God for change. Intercession is about carrying the burdens, the problems, the weights, the issues of others to a place of divine exchange and petitioning for change. It's about taking what's on other people's hearts to God's heart. It's about taking what's on other people's hearts and bringing it to the heart of God. And do you know what? If you're saved by the grace of God and born again by the Spirit of God, do you know what? You and I exist in a tremendously blessed position because the deeds of the new covenant say that we have access to his presence anytime, anywhere. That we can boldly approach the throne of grace. That we can enter in to his presence and seek him and experience him and behold him. The task of intercession is to use those access rights for others. To go where we are permitted to go through the blood of Jesus Christ. To bring the issues and the burdens of others to his heart. To come into that place where actually as we touch his heart... We're connecting him to the hearts of others. Elijah lays the boy out on his bed and he begins to pray. And up until now, we've identified what intercession is about. We see now what it involves. And if you look at verse 20 and 21 again, it says this. Elijah cried to the Lord, Lord my God, why have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, "Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him." It's interesting that the scripture doesn't say he called to the Lord. It doesn't say he asked the Lord. It doesn't say he commanded, it doesn't say he shouted. But it says he cried. He cried. Because intercession is all about emotion. Intercession involves emotion. It's not all about emotion, but it involves emotion. Come to understand that when the spirit of intercession comes, or in moments of intercession, normally one of two things happens. As you pray for an individual, or as you pray for situations, you either begin to feel what the individual's feeling Or you begin to feel what God's feeling towards that individual or that situation. Intercession involves touching the heart of God and touching his heart in relation to other people's hearts. And very often, in that deep place of intercession, it's almost as if a heart transplant happens, where more often than not, you begin to feel the heart of God that you're touching, or you begin to feel the heart of the individual that you're carrying. And intercession begins to involve emotion. We see it here in Elijah. Elijah, in this case, feels the pain of the woman. He cries, oh Lord my God, why have you brought tragedy upon this widow? He doesn't say, why have you brought tragedy upon this woman? But upon this widow, he's feeling, she's already been through tragedy. She's already been through heartache and she's going through it all over again. He begins to feel what she's feeling. And he cries out, oh Lord, let this boy's life return to him. The Hebrew here is, O Lord my God, I beseech thee. To beseech is to implore urgently. Elijah's moment of intercession is a moment of raw emotion. It's a moment of raw emotion where he calls out to God. And as he does so he begins to feel what's going on in that situation you know as you discover the depths of intercession I believe that we are going to begin to find that our hearts fuse and we begin to sense the heart of God towards that which we're carrying as well as beginning to feel the hearts of the individuals that we carry and that's why sometimes intercession moments can be a little bit messy and they can be at times a little bit noisy And they can be at times a little bit emotional. Not all the time. There are moments in which when a spirit of intercession comes, it's like travailing and weeping and calling out because in that moment, we're coming into the presence of God, feeling what others feel. Elijah carries that boy. He lays him out on the bed to pray. And as he does, he comes aside and He spends time praying. He doesn't pronounce a quick prayer on the off chance that a resurrection might happen. He doesn't utter a few words in his mind or his spirit to God and count the box ticked. He doesn't say to the lady, I'll pray for you, and then disappear and forget. He takes time to pray. He carries the boy into his room. He closes the door because he needs time to pray and he needs time to intercede. He takes the boy into the room, into his room, not into another room in the house, not into the nearest room that he could find, but he went up to his own room. And I think it's significant that he went to his own room and he laid the boy on his own bed. He went there because he knew this wasn't going to be a quick fix. He knew he needed time to pray. But he also understood that he needed space to pray. He had to come aside. He had to come separate. He had to petition God in secret, in his secret place. I think here, he carried the boy to the place where he spent time with God. And you know, intercession involves taking time to pray. And it involves making space to pray. It's about carrying people's burdens. It's about carrying people to the place where we meet meet with God and allowing the burdens and the needs of others to occupy our space with God. Intercession is more than just sending up a rocket prayer in the moment, although God can answer that and will respond to that. Intercession is about taking time to sit in God's presence and pray over some stuff. It's about making time It's about making space. And as Elijah does that, he does something very unusual. He stretches himself out on the boy three times. Why does he do that? To be honest, we don't really know. We don't know why. Some people say he did it to warm the boy's body up, because we see in Elisha, who Elijah mentored. Second Kings 4, the scripture says he lay out on top and as he did, the, the, the body began to grow warm so we're like he's stretching out to warm up the body but you know what, that doesn't really make sense when you say it out loud, does it? I find it hard to believe that that's the motive. The only conclusion that we can arrive at really is that he did it because God told him to. And here's the truth. Intercession involves actions sometimes it involves strange actions i don't get this and i don't know why it is the case but sometimes god asks us to act out in the natural what is taking place in the spiritual sometimes he asks us to do things in moments of intercession that are a bit strange and a bit bizarre and i don't really know why but he does there's moments in which in intercession we walk. There's moments in which we march. There's moments in which we lie on our faces. There's moments in which we find ourselves rocking backwards and forwards. There's moments in which we're weeping and crying. There's moments in which we're silent. There's moments in which we're pulling things and pushing things and, and, and brushing things off. There's moments in which God asks us to do things that are a little bit weird, and I don't know why, but he does. But regardless of whether it's weird or it's not, here is the big profound truth intercession involves action. Elijah's task of praying involved him putting action to his prayer. And do you know what? It's not enough to come into a place and say, God, we intercede for Govan Hill. God, that you would turn the poverty roundabout. And we say, Amen, and we go home and eat our dinner. Actually, what we need to do is roll up our sleeves. And bring action to what we're praying. It's not enough to come and intercede and spend hours weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Calling out for the salvation of our city. And then leave our church and go home. And do nothing. When in actual fact, what we need to do is call out for the salvation of our city. And then invest ourselves in reaching out to our city. With the good news of the gospel. It's not enough to pray for someone. God, they're so discouraged and down. Would you encourage them and would you build them up? And we can spend hours praying and in spiritual places, I have no doubt, make a real difference in someone's spirituality in someone's life. But do you know what else we could do? We could go along and say, do you know what? You're doing a great job. Keep going. We could be the encouragement. Intercession involves actions. Intercession is when we allow our seeking of God to fuel our sharing of faith and the serving of others. Intercession is the launch pad, is the base plate, if you like. It is the starting point where we allow those moments where we make time to pray and space to pray, where we begin to feel his heart and begin to feel the burdens of others that we're carrying, where we begin to lay hold of him with all that we've got, where we begin to allow the hearts to fuse and then we take that and allow it to fuel what we do. And the way that we act and the way that we behave. In this season, God is calling us to begin to step into a place of intercession. The prophetic calls out the purpose of God, intercession sustains it. The prophetic calls out and announces the move of God, intercession fuels it sustains it we have to come to a place where actually we come right onto the launch pad onto the base plate and allow our seeking of him to fuel our serving of others and our sharing of faith we allow our intercession to shape our actions and he calls to us to get ready to pray Naturally, in response to this, we get ready to look at ways in which we will do that corporately. And we'll talk about that later. But the invitation goes out to be intercessors. That as the season changes and the circumstance changes, for a period of time, our function needs to as well. And we might not be people who call ourselves naturally intercessors. That's not me. But for a moment, I'm willing, as I'm sure you are, to say, God, here I am. Here we are. Use us to see heaven touch the earth in transformation. Would you stand?